This is The Lydia Project, conversations with Christian women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Welcome again to the Lydia Project, where we have conversations with Christian women about life and faith. I'm Taryn Hayes. Now, Christians have a set of vocabulary that we don't often explain clearly to outsiders. One of these words is discipleship, and it's quite a central part of Christian ministry. But what is it exactly? What does it mean to disciple someone? And what about the term ministry supervision? Did you know that central to ministry supervision is one-to-one care for pastors or people in ministry? Today, my guest Sarah Balog explains what this looks like and how she came to be a ministry supervisor. Sarah also has a psychology practice in the Blue Mountains in Sydney, which she loves. And she also loves discipling women and caring for people in ministry in her role as a ministry supervisor and enjoying her family and supporting her husband, Arcos, in his role as a CEO of the Gospel Coalition Australia. Let's hear now from Sarah. Lovely to have you here on the Lydia Project with us, Sarah. Very exciting. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. So, as as we always begin, first question is, how did you come to faith in Christ? Well, I kind of often feel like I wish I had a more exciting story, but my story is similar to lots of other people's stories, which is not a, it's not a dull story, but I, I grew up in a ministry kind of family, so a Christian home. And so, you know, life was always faith and faith was life, which I think actually was really nice, a really nice way to kind of grow up. And because my dad was a minister, not just because my dad was a minister, but, but my mum was very hospitable. So, you know, our house was always just full of church and the Bible and people. And so I always knew about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't think I really accepted it for myself until I was about 14 at a traveler's concert in Queensland, where they, in their wisdom, talked about the fact that you couldn't just hold on to the faith of your parents, but you needed to own it for yourself. And so I think I was really challenged by that. And I think that's when the Holy Spirit really called me. And I haven't looked back since that day. It's very personal, I think. I think the gospel the fact that Jesus died for me, a terrible sinner, really uh, permeated my heart that day. And since then, I just, I don't think I've been able to shake the calling of just how important that is. And it's given my life an enormous, enormous meaning. That's awesome. And then, so you were 14 at the time, is that right? Yes, I, 14. Yeah, it was a youth group type thing, I think. Mm-hmm. And how did that shape your life from, from then onwards? I mean, how, how have you grown, would you say, spiritually over the years? I think, like I said before, I think that once I became a Christian, um, you know, it's that, that verse in Philippians. It's one of my favourites, actually. I don't think I wrote it down <laughs> for you, but um, Philippians 1, six. I think it is that being confident of this very thing that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Mm. And I feel like that is what God has done with my life. I think as a, as an, as a young Christian, I just realised that this was this was life and that this was true life and that if the gospel was true, which I believe it is, then he demanded m- my whole life. And I couldn't see from that point on why I would do anything else. And I just wanted to make my life about serving Jesus in any way that I could, I think. So he really captivated me from a very young age, I think. In your answer on the guest notes, 
you spoke about being shaped by the Presbyterian youth in Queensland and AFES groups at UQ. Tell, tell me about that. Yes, it's true. So, um, yeah, I grew up in a Presbyterian home and my dad was the minister of Presbyterian youth group. And so Southeast Queensland Presbyterian youth uh, was very important to me growing up and really shaped the way that I come, came to love Jesus, I think. Uh, and so AFES at UQ, I was part of, um, it was called... Evangelical Students, maybe, ES, I think it was called back in those days. Um, Tony Robotham, who is now the um, vice, I think, vice president of AFES. I might have that wrong, but, you know, he, he was my first AFES worker and he's still he's still doing it and he's fantastic. And I think that was, you know, a great kind of formation in the scriptures as well. Excellent teaching and a national training event every year, which they do still do in AFES. And then actually Atmos and I ended up working for AFES as one of our first ministry places and certainly discipled. I think young women in Christ really well. So it was, it was excellent. And I'm really thankful for the church in Southeast Queensland and Christian Church, Chikila, for all the ways they've supported and helped me grow. Yeah. I mean, you were saying how you've grown up in a Christian home. And I find it so often that those testimonies, um, it's not just the growing up in the Christian home, although that is wonderful and the benefits of that are just incredible. And, and what a blessing to be able to have that as part of your testimony. But I find often it's it's the robust Bible teaching and training mm. that is such a significant portion of growth. And, I, and as I'm listening to you, that's what I'm hearing with AFES and um, also with the Presbyterian youth, just having really good Bible teaching and conferences and mm. all those things available that really help to grow and make you think and stretch your mind. And, and Absolutely. And that. Yeah. And to be able to read the Bible really well for yourself, I think AFES does that exceptionally well. And they do that often through their national training strand groups and things different. They're still, they're still doing it because it works so well. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you know, that's a great mission. I've never actually asked anybody this because I just assume people would know. But now as I'm listening to you, I'm realizing there's probably some people who listen to us who actually don't know what we're talking about when we say AFES, like what yes. it is exactly and what the structure yes. looks like and how to get involved. So maybe if you could tell us about that. I would love to talk to you about AFES because it's it's very close to my heart and it's a movement that I think is really significant in Australian cult, um, Christian culture and training and discipling people and bring people to Christ. So AFES is Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students and it exists around the nation um, to put staff workers, so Christian workers on campuses to preach the good gospel of Jesus and to also disciple those Christian students who are already there. My husband Arcos and I, when we finished college, Arcos was uh, very shaped by CBS, which is the AFES group at University of New South Wales. And he decided while he was a student that he wanted to he wanted to go into that when he finished his degree. And so after our four years of college, we that's where we went. We went and did student ministry for a good seven years and we loved it. And I think I can still see the benefits and the reapings of that in people that we had in our lives and that were in part of our group and are now at Bible colleges around Australia in God's good grace. It's yeah, an excellent movement and one that has trained future generations of Christians and continues to do such an excellent job. So Yes, even though we've left AFES as staff workers, I still feel like a lot of my heart is there. <laughs> and I imagine to be an AFES worker, you must really enjoy working with students and young people. Oh, I love it. I love students. Um, and I love being able to just, I have a real heart for discipling women. Um, I just love it. I think God has put it in me. I don't think it's anything that I have done. But I love seeing what the gospel of the Lord Jesus does in Christians' lives, in young Christian women's lives. I love seeing the way that they're, they, they have epiphanies about things or the way that um, the Holy Spirit grows them and um, challenges them. And uh, out of all the things I do now as well, um, when we left AFES um, and our gospel corner role uh, in the Gospel Coalition, I really missed discipling young women. 
and having them in my life. Mm. And so um, God and his kindness found me a new job uh, where I do it now at Moore College. So that's really lovely. <laughs> so I want to get onto that. But before I do, um, I don't know why, for some reason, I'm just suddenly very aware that people might be listening that don't understand what some of these things mean. So could you unpack when you say discipling um, mm. Christian young women, what does that look like practically? I think that's a great question, Tone. <laughs> Thanks for asking it because I've been thinking about this a bit recently, actually. What is it to disciple someone um, and how many different shapes and forms do we have of discipleship? So I think discipleship is just walking uh, alongside somebody and training them in godliness, I think. Um, you know, if you go to 1 Timothy where it talks about young women being trained by old women, I think that's a significant portion of maybe what I'm talking about. I think in practical terms, I think as women, we should always be looking out for someone that we can disciple, you know? That's one of the questions that I oftentimes ask Christian friends, who are you discipling? Because I think in our churches, there's not necessarily a culture. There's definitely a culture in atheists of discipleship. But if you're a woman out there, can I say, if you're a woman and, and there are younger women around you, who are you Who are you taking interest in? Who are you seeking to grow? Who are you seeking to pass on the baton of the Lord Jesus Christ in maybe a way that someone did for you? Yeah, but also I think we disciple our children too by shaping them in the Lord Jesus Christ. We disciple, you know, all the people that are around us, I think, in the way that we choose to love them or walk alongside them. Actually, no one's asked me before, so that's my first thoughts. Shooting from the hip. <laughs> what do you think, Karen? Oh, it's also something that's been very much in my mind, especially this year with COVID and, you know, mm. people being so separated because of lockdowns and what have you. And like, how do you connect? And so it's been very much in my mind as well. And I agree with you. I think it's really important that we challenge each other to, to reach out to others in various ways. I think most women tend to love the concept, but are terrified of actioning it. Either because, you know, maybe as an older woman, you might think, oh, what, what do I really have to offer to a younger woman? Because they look like they got it all together. Or, you know, younger woman just feeling too shy to speak to an older woman. Or just women in general feeling all those barriers between liking an idea and actually executing it. So in our church at the beginning of this year, we spoke about ways to do that. And I think... I feel like there's two things you can do. You can dive in the deep end, go to somebody, you know, cold call somebody and say, hey, let's read the Bible together. And mm -hmm. I think in some ways it's first prize because to read Absolutely, the Bible with yeah. somebody else, that is awesome. God will use that time okay. together. Yes. But for many women, that's really is diving in the deep end when they've never swum before. And so mm -hmm. to those women, I might say, well, how about you get together with one or two or three others and mm -hmm. do something together that you're comfortable doing, whether it's going out for a coffee or playing a game of tennis or going for a walk or, you know, getting together to cook a meal for, for others. And in that time, be intentional about how the things that you talk to each other about. And yeah. from there, things can grow. So, you know, yeah. as, as those relationships develop, you can ask yourselves quite intentional questions. How are things going with you and your husband, your children, your quiet yeah. times? Your, what are some of the big questions you have about the sermon from last week? You know, those yes. intentional kind of questions. Um, yeah. And to pray together. And I think for those who find that just diving into Bible reading really scary and they feel intimidated and don't feel have enough Bible knowledge and all those kind of things, yes. if they start there, it's baby steps. You can work your way towards that kind of thing. I was going to say the same thing, actually, that I think sometimes it's just inviting someone into your life. Mm. You know, as a as a young mother, even, you know, you don't have time for extra things. And even as an older mother now, when I'm, mm. um, extra things are hard but if you can just especially young women they're much more flexible than you can be you can just say you know what pop in whenever you like and you can come over whenever it really doesn't really unless unless that bothers you it depends what kind of person you are yeah. but i'd just be like yeah it's open house come on and involve them in whatever you're doing you know like yeah help me put the vegetables up while we talk about how you're going with that difficulty that you've been struggling with in your christian life or yeah. like you said that life on life thing where it doesn't have to be an extra thing but just to invite someone in maybe shepherding them a little bit 
So you've had people in your life who've been quite great disciples. You spoke about somebody yeah. called Rebecca and another called Jenny. Do you want to share with us about them? Yeah, so Rebecca, um, she was that kind of person in my life. She just took an interest in me and she always asked me how I was and she always asked me what I was learning about in Christ and she read the Bible with me. And even to today, she would text me and say, how are you going? How's lockdown going? How precious it is to have an older woman look out for you over time. And it's not like we talk all the time. We don't. <laughs> It's not an onerous thing, but I know that she prays for me still. Occasionally, I'll get a text saying, what can I pray for you in? And then Mrs. Stark was her mother. And funnily enough, I boarded with them while I was at university. Um, so I kind of was in their house. So it was a very kind of, they couldn't get away from me. They had to disciple me. <laughs> um, no, they didn't. They really loved me very well and sometimes challenged me on things that I needed to be challenged on. But it wasn't just what they said. It was also what they did. Well, I mean, you can say all the right things, right? As Christians, we can be really good at saying the right things or the things that we think we should be saying, but then your life might reflect something different. But because I was living in the same house as them, I saw what their life was like. So Mrs. Stark, for example, was um, a highly intelligent person. Yeah, nobody would know. She might have had a PhD in chemistry or something, but she spent most of her time running the, the girls' brigade and doing SRE in schools and making a life about which she could be flexible enough to have all these little side ministries where she was preaching Jesus. And so for me, what I saw was that the most important thing in her life was helping others to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was very evident to me. She could have been doing lots of other things, but that was what she was doing. That's awesome. Um, she's with Jesus now. And I look forward to seeing her another day on the other side. Yes, it wasn't just what she said, it was what she did. And wonderful that she and Rebecca both felt that they could speak to you and challenge you on things. Because I and often we don't. We we're too worried about what people are going to think of us and you know, don't want to challenge somebody because we want to rock the relationship. But actually as Christians, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing is holding each other accountable and having hard conversations. So yeah, it was it was a soft nudge. She wasn't nearly as kind of outright as maybe I can be even, right? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things she said to me once. I was talking about the fact that I wasn't happy about something. I can't even remember what the context was. But she said to me, well, you know, Sarah, sometimes God is more interested in our holiness than our happiness. So it wasn't like it was really jarring. She said something like that would just make you really think, oh, oh, yes, of course. That's true, isn't it? And then I'd have to go away and think about it. Oh, right, yeah, so my happiness isn't the Oh, you mean it's not all about me? Okay, then. <laughs> I love that. Actually, I've heard that saying many, many years ago, you know, holy, holiness above happiness. And it's, yeah, it's resonated quite deeply because it's so, so easy to, yeah, to kind of structure your life around your own happiness when actually holiness is all we Especially in the West when, you know, happiness yeah. is our idol. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now you mentioned that you're involved in chaplaincy. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I think I said before that um, when we finished up with AFES, I had this big hole I didn't have any girls to kind of have in my house and be discipling and reading the bible with and praying with and I I really missed that and so this opportunity came up to be a chaplain at Moore College to disciple uh, women in particular but also men and I thought well there we go I can do it in a different way and that's only one day a week but it tends to kind of fall in different crevices through my week generally yeah and I do that with a co-chaplain at college so what they what the college does is it has all of its lecturers and faculty they have about 12 female chaplains which they pair with one of the faculty and we have chaplaincy groups of about 12 to 16 people and it's one of the ways we provide pastoral care and training at college what would you say is your favorite thing about chaplaincy I'm going to say the same thing as I said before <laughs> um <laughs> Just the people, the students, seeing young women who are captivated by Jesus and who just want to spend their time ministering and telling other people about Jesus is just a phenomenal thing to watch. And to have the privilege of being involved with that, I feel very blessed. 
It's such a joy, isn't it? It really is. It really is. It makes, it does really make my heart. I was going to say make my heart smile. It's like, yeah. that sounds like a terrible cliche thing to say. But that's true. Makes my heart happy. Yeah. yeah. This is cliches are cliches for good reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not the only uh, ministry you're involved in. So, um, mm. what, what else are you doing in terms of ministry? Uh, well, we do try and be very involved in a local church as well. Our cousin and I have a very kind of, we want to be involved in what ever is happening in our local kind of context. Um, so Akos and I lead a Bible study at church and also Akos and I have always approached ministry in a kind of whatever we're doing, we do together kind of fashion. So he's he's now the CEO of the Gospel Coalition. So I'm often his muse. Sarah, what do you think about this? Sarah, what do you think about this? Sarah, can you read this? Sarah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm very happy to do. So I do that as well. And he's doing an excellent job there. Um, Here it is. <laughs> yes, I think so. I'm a psychologist as well. And so I've tried to channel some of my psychological powers into ministry supervision as well. Now, that I... is something I'm very excited to hear more about because mm. in May this year, I think it was, the Gospel Coalition published one of your articles about ministry supervision. And I was very excited about it because it's brilliant. It's a great article, but I would love for people to understand because at first glance, when somebody mm. reads ministry supervision, it sounds quite foreboding, actually, like <laughs> ministry. Um, but it doesn't quite mean that. So tell us about it. You're right. It sounds like someone's going to look over you, you know, with a pair of glasses and just, you know, are you doing the right thing? It's a terrible word, isn't it? We really need to get a better one. It, it doesn't mean that at all. I think the way that I like to try and explain it to people is that it's a bit like if you took the word supervision and took it apart, it's about having extraordinary vision, you know, like a super vision in that there are so many things in our lives where we just have these blind spots or where we're just not quite aware of how we might be relating or what kind of behaviors or patterns we might be in that we're not even aware of having someone come in and say hey um where have you felt that feeling before or um what do you think that other person was feeling when you were doing x y and z or you know some kind of perspective questions gives you a better vision of your world and can give you a better perspective on yourself even and your own ability to be aware of your own gaps in formation. So I think often there are gaps between what we say we believe and what we do. A supervisor can be really helpful at helping you to find where those gaps are. Um, so it's time out from what you do, I suppose, in ministry to be able to figure out why you're doing that. So you're busy doing this with people. Do people come to you? Do you? How does that work? I've been doing it for about 10 years. And it's always kind of been my side gig because I do some psychology, just normal kind of practice stuff as well. Yeah, people come to me. I, I have a website. People can kind of contact me through. Generally, it, it can be really broad. So I have had people who are doing pastoral care type things within or chaplaincy type positions even within, you know, like organisations like United Care. I have ministers. I have a, a, a teacher from a school who's running a particular um, part of that school, Christian school. So lots of different people who are in different ministry settings who just want to have a place as well where they can actually talk about stuff. I think yeah. in ministry, sometimes it can be very lonely because if we're in a team, especially, and there's problems within that team or within something in the church context, it's very hard to talk to somebody else in your team about that. Or it's very hard to talk to somebody else at your, in your church about that. You don't want to be, um, you know, provoking disunity or you don't want to be gossiping yeah. Um, yeah. but you still need someone to talk to about all those issues so it also gives you a safe place where someone outside of your context can just listen to you and hear about what's going on yeah and I do like that over time you really do develop as a supervisor it's not like therapy where people come and go or depending on the therapist <laughs> um, in supervision you tend to, to stay with the same supervisor unless you don't work and you want to find someone else so it's it's a great opportunity to grow in reflection and self-awareness I think 
Yeah, it sounds quite similar to uh, like a ministry mentor. Yeah, similar, similar, yes. Sometimes ministry mentors might help you more with or coaches like vision or strategy or how you might do something. I think one of the distinctives, and people will kind of have different ideas about this, but of ministry supervision is that it's maybe a little bit heavier on the reflection and it's not just enough to reflect, but you also need to get to that point of insight so that you can change and grow. And that's yeah. certainly what the research is indicating as well, that reflection does actually help you decrease like signs of burnout and those kind of things as well. Yeah. So in, in your article, you spoke about resilience and building resilience. Um, would you like to unpack that? Because I thought that was fabulous as well. Well, yeah, I guess I suppose the more, the more that you're able to reflect and understand yourself, the more you are able to change and grow over time. So if you're able to do that, then I think you have more resilience in ministry because you're able to actually see some of the problems and try and change them as you go along as opposed to just keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I imagine um, your role there is actually pivotal because if you you can be on your own recognizing mm-hmm. things and trying to change, but if you don't have somebody outside of that situation to be bouncing these things off, to be you know having as a mentor or processor alongside you, I can imagine it's much harder to be resilient. But if you've got somebody who's you know as your outlet as your mentor, as your supervisor, I must mm. make it just, you know, another tool in the box towards resilience, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so, because it's also a place for you to unpack some of those things that you may not have been able to do somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and to be able to talk about some of the really difficult things that happen in ministry. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's be real. It's a tough gig. There are a lot of, there's a lot of stress involved in ministry. And I think you need an outlet for that as well. Mm. And if you don't have an outlet, then it's just going to pile and pile and pile until you hit a wall somewhere. Yeah, and I feel like we do see a lot of that and have seen a lot of that over the years. So, you know, after reading your article, I was thinking to myself, I feel like it's almost mandatory that all pastors should have this kind of interaction. You know, maybe not strictly the the ministry supervision, but at least somebody who is walking alongside them and having those hard conversations. Because I like that two-prong. Not only can they just offload and say, this is what's going on and it's so hard and da-da-da, but to have somebody, yes, empathize and listen, but also to be able to say, well, what about this? What about that? And have those hard conversations and challenge them in how they are themselves. So I think it's so valuable. Uh, I think you're right about all those things. And look, the Royal Commission has kind of mandated that supervision is going to become mandatory across Australia because of the Royal Commission is child abuse. So they're looking at it from more a kind of safety perspective. But um, certainly churches across Australia are scrambling at the moment to figure out how they're going to make this mandatory. And it's certainly, I think it's, I think the, the wording is that um, I think in the Anglican Church and also the Catholic Church, is they've made it mandatory because of all the abuse allegations. But certainly they've said it would be a good idea for, for all kind of denominations. So I know that there's a lot of people having lots of discussions at the moment about how they're going to do that and how they're going to have ministry supervisors. But I do think for anyone in ministry, um, it doesn't need to be parish ministry either. Just yeah. have someone to talk about, you know, reflecting on your practice in light of your theology, I think is gold. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm very grateful you're doing that work because there are people out there who can to benefit not just the person you are supervising, but the people that they minister to. It just has such incredible ripple effect into the churches and communities and people's lives to have healthy um, functioning pastors and people in leadership. Yeah, yeah so much so that um, college has started, uh, more college has started a uh, intentional ministry reflection subject. Good. Um, so I'm quite involved in that as well. That's fabulous. Yeah, I mean, I was, I've been chatting um, with people in, in those kind of roles and saying, hey, why are our colleges just don't seem to have that much emphasis on character and, uh, you know, mm. really working through their inter- interpersonal relational things and looking at themselves. I mean, we, we've, we're living in a time when there's just so many stories of, of church abuse and yeah. 
yeah. willing behavior and all of that. But I think so many of these guys have come out of college without being equipped. Mm-hmm. And it's we default to our, our most basis nature, which is something needs to happen. So I'm just going to call the shots in a way that's just not helpful. Yes, or because I'm stressed or, yes. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, it's been amazing to see those groups fashion themselves at college and to see the amazing, amazing work that happens when we start really reflecting on cha- challenging situations in our life. Yeah. And also what happens when, especially if you do it in a group, you see that that everybody has these things. It's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> everybody has these situations. And also it helps you to be aware of not only your own, you know, uh, I suppose blind spots, but it helps you to be much more compassionate when other people have blind spots too. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And helps you to be able to be reflective because I think, being reflective is also something that to a certain degree is, is learned. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Fascinating. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it is a learned behavior. People who have that quite naturally probably grew up in a context where that happened and flourished in their homes, but I don't think it's normal. I think the No, no, it's, it's not. not. It's really norm. not. No, it's not. Yeah. And, and even then, you know, personality plays a, a role and all sorts of things. So to do that so intentionally at college, at a college level, when you have all those ministry-minded people together, it's just brilliant. So I'm super encouraged to hear that. Yeah, That's no, it's great. a great program. What else is happening in, in your life? What's bigger on your radar at the moment? Oh, oh, well, we've talked about the discipleship and that's been something that I've been thinking about. I'm really in, being encouraged by reading Dane Ortland's book, uh, Gentle and Lowly. I've been reading that of late and I love the way that he comes at the gospel, maybe from a different kind of angle. So I've been really enjoying that. Yeah, I just started listening to that um, on script. And as I've been listening, I'm going, actually, I need to read this. This is a read, not a <laughs> listen book. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. I, I really, I think it's one of those great, it's a, it's a book that you could give like a really young Christian or yeah. someone who's a really old Christian as well, who just feels like they're a bit stale or they're, or they're not good enough. It just really expands the heart of Christ for us. I think in a really beautiful way, kind of saying that, um, I think often we feel like we have to be good enough to come to Christ, but it's about the fact that actually we're not good enough. <laughs> we don't need to unburden ourselves to come. The fact that we're burdened means we can come. You know? I like that. That's uh, so true. Yeah. Yes. You spoke about sensitivity as well and with children, just being aware of that. Uh, and you also mentioned a book now, I forget what it was called, um, the, the oh, Orchid and the yes. Dandelion. I'm curious. Tell me. Yes. It's such a different area, um, but it's kind of connected to being self-aware and some of the supervision work I do and all those kind of things, being self-aware of what kind of person you are as well. So, and the resilience research as well about um, how we are formed in our resilience as well, so that we don't all come with the same kind of um, genetics into the res- into the resilience kind of world. And, you know, some of our, our children might be dandelions and some of them might be orchids. So, for, so biologically speaking, for example, so that's what this book talks about, that, um, that you know, some kids are born and they're, they're like dandelions, you can put them anywhere and they'll just grow, right? But other, other people are a bit more like orchids and they might need a bit more care, a bit more um, uh, tender nurture to grow. And I think it's, I think sometimes we think that resilience is, is something that if we just, if we're really good parents, that will make really resilient children. But uh, I think that actually, we also have to recognise that we come with a genetic loading as well, whereby you might come in a different different space on the resilience kind of realm and that some children might need a bit more help to be resilient um, and that's okay. <laughs> so there's this idea that there's a range of sensitivities and a range of factors that we need to consider when we think about resilience. And I think that's really helpful because sometimes I think we want to treat everybody around us the same way and go, well, you know, we should be able to just give the same thing to everybody but I, I don't know if that really 
takes into account the fact that, yeah, that we all have a different kind of genetic makeup and that sometimes, even the way that I parent my children, some, some of my children may be dandelions, some may be orchids. I don't want to say too much. But certainly I have seen in my own children even that sometimes I need to adjust my parenting to what I think are the available resources from that child. Not necessarily that they're, they're not, it's not about them being naughtier or sometimes it is about them being naughtier, but I'm talking about <laughs> resilient. Um, that sometimes they might, some children might just need a little bit more help. So that everybody comes different. So you can go to, there's actually a, if you want to find out, you know, where you might sit on that spectrum of, resi- of um, sensitivity in terms of dandelions and orchids, you can go to, I think it's research.com, sensitivityresearch.com. Um, and actually it's not, a, it's actually quite a good website. It's all un- underpinned by really good research. And you can do a little test on there for yourself or one of your children and you can figure out where you come in the spectrum, whether you're a highly sensitive person or, or whether um, you're not very sensitive. But the other thing I would say as well is that in our society, if I said to someone, you're a very sensitive person, they might take that very badly because yeah. that's just the way that we tend to use the word sensitive. Oh, she's so sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually sensitivity is a great thing and I would say I'm quite a sensitive person I I think actually a lot of psychologists would be sensitive because we are very in tune with our environment and we're very affected affected by our environment and that's we have this sensitivity to be able to pick up these little things that maybe others won't so sensitivity is actually a good thing not a bad thing just so people know it's but we all fall somewhere in that spectrum and it's quite interesting um so it's yeah there's a book by one voice all from the dandelion why some people struggle and how all can thrive by w thomas boyce and he works out of um, california i think but um if you wanted to know more about that you could read that book but it's very um it's actually it's very scientific and certainly not christian but it's not necessarily a hard read either because he talks about his own as well so it's a little bit more accessible than some kind of scientific books oh, that's good to know yeah as he was speaking i was thinking yeah i think as a parent of more than one child you'll know that this this all will ring true because our kids are so different but yeah to as you know this this one of us and I don't know if you you're probably better equipped given your background but I find it very hard to adjust to from one child to the next and to cater Mm. for their sensitivities uh, or you know their personality things and I just (laughs) really struggle don't don't beat yourself up about it yeah yeah (laughs) I, I think being a parent is hard enough um so don't hear me saying that I think it's just about Maybe it's, it's that perspective thing as well that we were talking about before about adjusting your lens and just kind of going, well, what is that about? Is that about, is he just being disobedient or is there something else going on there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that you know, one of the helpful tools in, with regards to helping your kids is to have those conversations and to allow them the space to talk through those things. Of course, if it's a child who doesn't like to talk, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, but also like the fact that sometimes, you know, we're going to get it wrong as parents. So that's exactly oh, that. yes. Um, <laughs> okay um and they're gonna let us know (laughs) when we get it wrong as parents aren't they it's not just for parents as well it's it's, i i use it even at college thinking about students and things like i you know some students will need a little bit more nurture and others will be happy to kind of be in a you know like kind of more tumultuous kind of environment so yeah i think we just have to kind of also recognize that we we all come from kind of different backgrounds and it's not just genetic background it's also lots of other things that kind of impact our resilience too yeah absolutely it's funny that you say all these things because I, I suppose without having put word to it those are some of the reasons why in our church context we were encouraging women to do discipleship in, in different ways because yes. you know 
it's for some women they are they would struggle just to dive into it into the deep end um, and Absolutely. i suppose that would be more the dandy dandelion type you can just go yeah let's give it a shot go for it yeah let's, that's right that's right this yeah that's a nice, nice kind of way of thinking about it i think i think the older i get taryn i'm not sure about you but i think you know in our youth we like to be quite black and white about things oh, and yeah. see them quite a black and white kind of way but i think as we get older certainly as i've gotten older i think the world is really very gray <laughs> Yeah. the gospel is quite black and white but there are certainly a lot of things we just need to be gracious to one another about and and also to be really excited about different people's difference you know and and maybe I think discipleship can can be many many different forms it doesn't have to be just a one cookie cutter kind of version you know absolutely it's just about passing on Jesus so so true you have a do you have a current favorite bible verse and if so would you be keen to read it aloud sure Matthew 6 is my favorite bible verse uh and the end of mathematics um because it talks a lot about um uh i'm in luke this was i'm like this is not the right one <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the right one um about the birds of the air you know it's quite a famous passage though isn't it do not be anxious I'll, I'll read it for you uh therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink nor about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. The lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I, I think in our busy lives, we forget to look at the birds of the air or the lilies of the field and to bask in the glory that they provide us with in every single day or to see the birds of the air and see that they don't worry about tomorrow. That's just that kind of idea of, I mean, it's very prevalent, you know, the whole mindfulness thing <laughs> in our society, but that's kind of what Jesus is talking about to a certain degree. He's saying, just be in the moment, just see the birds, just see the grass of the field. They're not labor or spinning. They're not worrying about tomorrow. They're just doing now and I do like that Jesus says that that we don't have to worry about today but just do now and to be really noticing all the things that he's put around for us to love <laughs> and enjoy and that he will take care of us and that's why we don't need to worry so I yeah I just I love that for everyday kind of life and a timely reminder in where we find ourselves in the world today when I mean, there's so many different things to worry about <laughs> so much outside of our control yeah which of course um is linked to anxiety exactly <laughs> So, yes, of course, we're going to be feeling way more anxious at the moment and that will be normal. Yeah. Um, but, yes, that's a nice segue, Karen, in terms of that we, we need not because Jesus has got this too and it's easier to say, harder to do. Oh, yeah. um, and it's okay to feel, I think that's just part of life, that anxiety will come and go, but to recognise that Jesus is the one who is in our back corner. Yeah, he's always got us. I think that's a really nice place to rest. And, and that passage, it's to all of us. And I, you know, we were talking earlier about 
being in the Western world where life is easy and we haven't had to really be challenged all that much. And it's one thing reading, you know, the missionary biographies of people who've been thrown into jail and persecuted for their faith and to, you know, think it's a noble and good and share it on. It's another thing mm. to experience those kind of hardships or potential hardships ourselves. And yet mm. God's word is true for all of us. And just mm. as much as that person who might be suffering terribly, you know, the worst kind of life experience. And yet God mm. says, do you not worry about tomorrow to that person just as much as he might to us sitting here in the land of COVID <laughs> or whatever else that, that we're facing. And I, yeah, I think that's really helpful to remember because, it, you know, we have been facing some hard times. Well, I think it shows you just how big God is too, right? Yeah. One yeah. of my favorite sayings as well is, you know, I can only do what I can only do. And the rest has got to go to the keeper, man. <laughs> but the great thing about being a Christian is that I've got the best goalkeeper in the universe. Jesus that's is crazy. like, bang, he's got that one. Um, <laughs> so I think that's a nice way to live though, right? Like I can only do what I can only do. Even when you're talking yeah. about your children before, you know, oh, well, I can't parent them all differently. I have, you know, I can, I can feel the burden in your voice. Yeah. You know? um, it's like, well, you can only do what you can only do is just stay in God's grace and strength. And the rest has got to go to the keeper. But yeah. as Christians, don't we have the best keeper? Absolutely. Mm. So in the light of that, now this verse obviously is quite a big motivator for you, but there must be other things also that help you to keep standing firm and growing in Christ. So how do you keep on keeping on? Uh, I just keep going. I mean, I, we've talked already about the importance of the local church, but I think uh, that's where I get fed, you know, <laughs> in terms of the word. And also that's where I'm challenged in relationships. That's where I'm challenged to be obedient as well. I think... Also, a really lovely book that I read a while ago called The Praying Life by Pauline Miller really transformed the way I think about praying. I haven't always been a very, <laughs> let's be real, I'm not great at praying. I could be better at it. Um, but one of the things he talks about in that book is that our prayer lives should be a conversation, not just kind of, oh, I do my prayer at 6 a.m. and then I'm done. And to a certain degree, that really released me from feeling like I wasn't praying even when I was throughout my day. And so mm -hmm. that really sustains me too, just lifting my eyes whenever I can during my day or just quick prayers. Oh, Lord, please help me with this. Or please help me to have patience with my child because really I've got nothing. <laughs> um, certainly there's been days in my COVID journey in lockdown where I have woken up, especially on a Monday morning uh, with a whole week of work and homeschool in front of me and just felt like, Lord, I have, I'm, I'm empty. You need to sort me out here coming coming back to prayer in whichever way that I suppose there are different ways we can pray and just not to say that we shouldn't be being disciplined and regulating our prayer certainly continue to have a, have a prayer life and to be reading the word or to and to be reading you know great books the one thing I like about Dane Ortland's book I'm not a great reader but I feel like the chapters are very small <laughs> and that helps me yeah um, podcasts I don't know how you a podcast can be a great encourages me when I'm walking or Christian podcasts so those type of things but I would definitely say the local church would be my biggest one my biggest encourager and my biggest source of thankfulness too I have a, a great church and a great ministry team and a great bunch of believers that God has surrounded me to be with and to be for and to live life with and to continue to want to sharpen each other as we do this crazy thing called life yeah. I really appreciate that you spoke about doing life with and for because often yeah we often approach these things as to do life with um not realizing how much we actually bring to the local congregation and how important mm. us being there is mm. you know that kind of the ministry of turning up mm. you know, and how important that is yeah. yeah and i think that kind of swings back to what we we're talking about before in terms of you know who are you looking out for who are you discipling yeah. 
whichever way God has blessed you with whatever gift you have, how can you help someone else to grow in Jesus? Mm-hmm. And so helpful. I mean, I, I don't know what your experience has been. I suppose you've had quite a lot more lockdown stuff than we've had up here, but just all the changes to church, it's so easy. And I've experienced this with somebody who's probably been more naturally extroverted and more naturally, you know, engaging with people, but I've really struggled with, you know, going to the local church and, connecting with people because of all the interruptions and all the politics and the differing opinions of things and uh, and that real sense of um you know isolation even though you're amongst others and realizing that if if I'm going to receive if that's my primary motivation it's going to be that much harder but when I go to give to be there for you know those mornings you know actually you know getting a little bit outside of myself and speaking to others are always the most rewarding and the most wonderful contributions to personal growth in Christ as well. And that's certainly been a lesson I've been learning through this time when when it's been harder to go, yeah, to to be there with, but to be there for has been quite a lesson. Yeah, I think we come from quite a consumerist kind of culture, don't we, where we want yeah. to consume um, when we go to church as well. Mm. Um, but recognising that uh, we are all part of one body and that uh, we all have different things to give. Certainly I don't always go to church with that kind of <laughs> wonderful perception of reality. Um, but I wish that I did more, but maybe that's something I can pray for. Yeah, mm. I, I think it's something we should pray for, for everybody because it's only been a, a recent thing for me. It's been Sometimes it's been quite hard to just get up and go and, and be with others. And, and I, I know that that's the case for many others and you know as I said earlier if, if I'm experiencing this as somebody who's probably that's not a natural experience for me how much more are others experiencing this and how can we love them through that and well I think yeah. in the current times Taryn there are going to be lots of opportunities for us to be thinking about how do we love people in this age of vaccination and vaccination yeah. and all of those things are going to become very real very soon they really are they really um, are and what is church and uh how do we gather and all those type of questions but yeah that would be yeah. maybe for another episode another episode if i was brave enough to go there <laughs> yeah oh it's good it is it is fascinating seeing how christians are dealing with this topic it's been quite revealing about where we're all at in terms of godliness and how we read the bible and how much we are influenced by fear of man and fear of the world and fear of disease and fear of vaccine and fear 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 how driven we are by fear yeah. Most of our behavior you would find, Taryn, is driven by things like fear. Totally. Which brings us <laughs> back to Matthew 6, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a yeah. good one. Yeah, it is a, it's a very good one. I think I need to be putting that on repeat this week. <laughs> mm. uh, it's been lovely chatting with you. It's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I'm very happy We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 